Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers. A podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. On that note, let's see what's in the fridge this week. Today, there's beer in the fridge. We're speaking with Craig Ravina. He's a beer historian and co-founder of the Albany Ale Project. Thank you so much for joining us, Craig. Well, thank you for having me in. Thanks for being here. So tell us a little about yourself. I write a beer blog, and about, oh, it must be about five years ago now, I was investigating this area's beer history. And I knew that there was quite a story, but I, I didn't really know what it was. And uh, I was actually looking for, like, old Dutch brewing records, and I came across a blog post from this Canadian beer blogger named Alan McLeod. And he had found an advertisement for something advertising Albany Ale from like the 1840s in Newfoundland. And basically said, you know, what the heck is this stuff? And I said, well, I'll look into it and see what I can find out. And from that point on, it's been uh, like really a five, six year partnership between he and I investigating the brewing history of the Upper Hudson Valley, which spans literally 400 years. This area, the brewing tradition really starts with the Dutch and establishing a whole bunch of breweries here um, in Beverwick and New Amsterdam and the trade between those two. And then um, in the 19th century, there's this thing, it's actually a, a style of beer called Albany Ale that gets sent all over the world. We've seen it in Suriname and wow. Honolulu in the mid-19th century. And it's a lot to do with um, the history prior to that point and the opening of the Erie Canal and uh, good grain growing, uh, good wheat growing in central New York. And obviously the hops industry in New York was huge, too. So that's it. That's my background. Wow. That's interesting. So I just have a quick question. What's the oldest beer that you have come across that has been produced in our neighborhood? And when I say neighborhood, I mean in our region, in our listening area. What's the oldest beer that you've come across that's been brewed here? That's still brewed? Yeah, let's start with there. Well, the, the oldest beer that's still brewed in this area is probably from Brown's. Brown's Brewing in Troy. Mm -hmm. um, they opened in, I want to say like 1992. I don't know what they, what they kicked off with. Probably a pale ale, mm -hmm. um, probably a porter, um, maybe a red ale. Those were sort of uh, early 90s styles that you see quite a bit. So I would imagine that some of those beers really harken back. Bill Newman uh, was and is the sort of grandfather of East Coast craft brewing. He opened the first brewery, what we would consider a craft brewery today, like a little microbrewery in Albany in 1980. And I know that there are some plans for him to uh, recreate his 35th anniversary beer. But brewing, in general, goes back to the 1640s here. So uh, maybe even a little bit earlier. Actually, it does go back earlier than that. Killian Van Rensselaer, who is the patroon, the major land owner in New Netherland, right after he buys his land, he writes a letter that says he has the intention to open a brewery and supply all of New Netherland with beer. It's very and, important. And he does, yeah. He, <laughs> he, he actually contracts with the brewer to be the colonial brewer. And his nephew is the director general of all of New Netherland. So he's like the governor of all of New Netherland and hmm. pushes brewing down in New York City. So there's a trade between, well, it's not New York City, it's New Amsterdam then, mm -hmm. but um, there's a trade between New Amsterdam and Beverwick as far as early as the 1630s. Wow. 
I didn't realize we had such rich history here in this region yeah. when it comes to beer history. I'm someone that typically is a wine drinker, but just coming into my appreciation for beer, but I really never knew there was so much history that revolved around beer in this area. It's really fun and exciting to learn about. So there's only like about a 10-year period, and that's between when Schaefer closes in 1972, maybe 70, I don't remember the exact date, and when Bill Newman opens up, that there isn't somebody brewing in the area. Even during Prohibition, there are breweries that are making near beer, and mm-hmm. you know the breweries are still open, or some of the breweries are still open. But that's really the only time that there isn't any beer being made. It may have gotten a little hairy during the American Revolution, too, but I'm fairly confident that somebody was still making commercial beer. I'm sure someone wanted a beer at yeah, that point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> War is generally bad for beer, though. <laughs> well, that's not good for anyone. Yeah, no. So I wanted to ask, when... You said the early 90s style. When did the style start changing to IPA like we see now? Well, IPA, there were early breweries making IPAs. And it's not necessarily an early that there were early styles. Those were just the sort of traditional beer styles that a lot of the breweries started making. When I say traditional, they're the ones that had been a lot of German, traditional German beer styles and traditional British beer styles. It takes a while for the microbrew industry to sort of make any kind of inroads and you know, you don't really start seeing some of the more unusual stuff happen until the 2000s. It's not even really called craft until about 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. And craft really is sort of a, a marketing term more than it is an approach. There's a lot of craft brewers out there that say, you know, we're smaller and that in and itself sets us apart from some of the big brewers. But it's really about making good beer and, and right. it's about making beer that people want to drink. Even diehard craft brewers will say, if I make beer that nobody drinks, then what's the point of that? You know, yeah. My beer isn't very good. The quality's not very good. No one's enjoying yeah. it. The narrative is that American IPA came out of California, but IPA's been brewed in the United States. And the earliest one that I saw, uh, mid-1850s, from a brewery in Albany. It doesn't mean that Albany was the first IPA, American IPA place it was brewed, but... Mm-hmm. California does like to say they do everything first. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of different beers and ingredients in beer. What is the weirdest thing that you've ever heard of being Bull put- testicles. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. There's a place in- uh, and Did they tell people bull- before they it, drank it or is they- it bull Oh testicles? gosh. How in the world do you just get a box of it was. bull testicles? It was. It's, uh, <laughs> it's called Rocky, because there's a thing called oyster stout. Yes, I've heard stout, of that. Right, oyster stout goes, most oyster stouts are, are stouts that are meant to be eaten with oysters. But there were oyster stouts in the 19th century that actually used oysters and oyster shells in them. Hmm. So there's a brewery in, I think it's Colorado, that makes a thing called the Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout. It actually has bull testicles in it. There's another one that somebody made a Walking Dead beer that right. has sheep brains in it. <laughs> It's not quite as bad as it used to be, but there are a lot of like gimmicky beers out there. I have not had any of them. I can't tell you if they're good, if they're bad. It's but... making me think of the book, The Jungle. Yeah, the <laughs> one about Sinclair. The, up to Upton Sinclair. Yeah. Oh. Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. Bull, was like... there bull testicles in that book? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just whatever falls in. Right. You just brew it up. Right. You know? Right. Well, and you know what? That's really probably not all that uncommon in the 19th century too. There was a big court case in the 1830s between an Albany brewer named John Taylor 
and this guy Edward Delavan, who was a, like a really staunch prohibitionist, mm-hmm. and he accused all of the Albany brewers of using stagnant water and contaminated water to malt their grain with. And the New York State Senate brought all the brewers in and testified to what they were doing and what they were putting in their beer. And there's a protracted court case. And it ends up that Delavan is acquitted because they really are doing some nasty stuff in their beer. Oh, man. But it doesn't seem to affect the Albany brewing industry at all. In fact, Taylor becomes the largest brewer in the country, and his beer is sent all over the world. Well, maybe the alcohol just killed the germs. I I guess. I don't know. Like, adulteration of beers has happened for as long as people have been making beer. The brewers are trying to, not brewers today, but brewers in the 19th century were really trying to make as much money from as little raw ingredients as they possibly could. Wow. There's no regulation of beer, really, until Prohibition. There's no real serious regulation of beer until Prohibition. And then wow. it's it's very much black or white when it comes to <laughs> American beer. <laughs> <laughs> do whatever you want. Yeah. Or, no, do nothing yeah, at all. Yeah, nothing, not, 10 years of nothing at all. <laughs> well, that didn't stop people from getting it or making their own. Right. Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's funny, too, is... One of the reasons you don't see more breweries survive during Prohibition is because in order to make beer profitable, even the highest alcohol beers are still low compared to spirits and liquor. So in order to be profitable, you've got to make everything at scale. So when you've got a big brewery, it's got smokestacks and you know all this steam coming out of it. If you're not making beer, there's no noise and no steam. If you are making beer, it's noisy and there's steam. So I want to get to um, the Polliner Polliner story that we heard earlier on Vox Pop. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll expand on that, and maybe we'll have a little taste test here while we're exploring oh, yeah. that story. So the story that I was telling. I'll pour us out a little bit while you're talking. Excellent. So we were talking about Stark Beerzeist in in Munich, which is uh, a, it's like Oktoberfest's little brother, but he just happens to be bigger than the older brother because it's all about Stark beer, strong beer, mm-hmm. which is we would refer to that as Bach beer. And Bach beers have a tendency to come out in the spring. They don't have to, but that's traditionally when they come about, people started celebrating the Bach season. The first brewery to do this, the brewery that's sort of associated with this uh, strong beer uh, tradition is Polaner. And uh, it's a, it's a, like, it's not an abbey. I guess it's like, they're monks. Mm-hmm. They make this beer called Salvatore. And <laughs> I went to this place called Schultz's Hofbrau up on warner's lake and it's not open anymore and this has got to be 20 years ago and i i I went in and uh, there was this guy sitting at the end of the bar and he's drinking and i walked up and it wasn't uh, salvatore it was uh half of ice that i bought but i said can i have a paul in here please (laughs) and uh (laughs) which is what i would have said right right and the guy at the end of the bar who was obviously schultz looked at me and he kind of scowled and he said it's no Polliner, it's a Polliner. <laughs> and, and I've never said that before. And I didn't tell this story on Vox Pop, but the best part of that was we went out on the deck and we're having a couple of big half of Isons up in the big glass and it's overlooking the lake. And we see this guy kind of stumble out a little bit. And then he kind of waved to everybody goodbye. And then he got on a tractor and drove up the street to say goodbye. Hey, there goes the Polliner guy. <laughs> There's always good beer stories, stories <laughs> yeah. around where beer is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Should we have you try some beer over there, Ashley? Sure. So this is. It smells nice. Polaner. Polaner. Pol- nice. You did it right. No, no, Polaner. <laughs> That's how he said it, too. No, Polaner. <laughs> All nasally. And <laughs> you had personally offended his honor. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so the box are kind of sweet. 
I like this one. Kind of a low, hot profile. and um, Yeah, I like this one. This fits in my uh, beer profile. Yeah. I, yeah. I like I like Bach's, too. Like the Jenny Bach, which is the other beer that I have. I'm two-fisting right now. I've got two <laughs> beers going. The the Jenny. I, li- I, I like them both, I have to say. I mean, I like all beer in general, but. So do you switch your beer drinking with the seasons? Sort of. I know there's. They start putting out different beers around, like yeah, seasonal beers. I don't think I do it by the seasons. I do it by the day. I do it if I, if I stop at a bar or if I'm buying beer and it's kind of cloudy and rainy out, maybe snowing and cold, maybe I'll get a darker beer. But I don't really follow any prescribed pattern. I just, yeah. whatever, whatever. Just they seem to be, like. yeah. They seem to be pushing the, the seasonal beers earlier and earlier yeah. as uh, the well, years there, go by. There's always been a traditional brewing season, which is... October, which is why you have Oktoberfest, and then March, which is right now, Stark Beer Zeist. Uh, and, it, and it's not just in Germany. It sort of follows that pattern. It's because those are the ideal temperatures to be brewing beer. Right. Um, so even in 19th century America, you see announcements in newspapers in March and April for the breweries opening up. They're open for the brewing season. There's n- not a lot of heat in the breweries. They can't brew in the dead of winter because it's too cold to brew. Can't brew in the summertime because then it's super hot and the beer goes bad. And so they like that spring and fall periods to do their brewing. I mean, they do eventually later start brewing, maybe not necessarily year round, but they uh, they definitely don't brew in the summertime. You, know, you see a lot of places closing for the summer. So they have to make all their stock before then and estimate how much they'll need. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And that's the idea of a Mertzen beer that's made in March and then stored in caves or storage in refrigeration all summer long to be then drank in the fall. Hmm. And a lot of them are harvest beers. They're meant to, they're a little bit stronger. So it depends, like you see that a lot in Belgium. And then you have them brewing again in October and into the early fall. And then I'll store those beers over the winter. Those are the box and the doppel box. That same pattern happens in, it happens all over Europe and it happens in the United States. They're just calling those beers different things. October beer and March beer. You know, October beers are dark and strong, and mm-hmm. it switches up. It's totally crazy. It's history. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I definitely want to drink a beer from a cave, though. Yeah. Oma Gang did one. had to have been 10 years ago. They brewed their Hennepin. I think it was their Hennepin. It may have been Rare Voss. And then they aged it in Howe's Cavern, which is out. Oh, very You know, nice. not too far from yep. where they are. So it was cave-aged Hennepin. Very nice. Wouldn't it be cool to have a cave bar where you could go in a cave and it would be a bar yeah. and you could go and try beers that were You think Kyle's Cavern would be up for that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound dangerous at all. No, no, of course not. That was a great conversation and I learned a lot. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Hey, well, thank yeah. you for asking me to be on the inaugural. Very nice. <laughs> I've never been the first at anything. <laughs> Your well, name you will be in the, lights. Yeah. Yes, you are the first beer history scholar. That you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> that I've ever met. <laughs> that was Craig Gravina, a beer historian and the co-founder of the Albany Ale Project. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge.